We'll now have our scripture reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's found in page 821. Listen now for the word of God. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but am bold when I'm away, I beg that when I come that I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, for we take captive every thought to make obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. You are looking not only on the surface of things. If anyone is confident that he belongs to Christ, he should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as he. For even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than pulling us down. I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters, for some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive, and his speaking amounts to nothing. Such people should realize that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who can commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, kind of sounds like the world around us today, doesn't it? Golly. And compare themselves with themselves. They are not very wise. That's an understatement. However, we will not boast beyond the proper limits, but we will confine our boasting to the world God has assigned to us, a field that reaches even to you. We are not going too far in our boasting as we would be the case if we had not come to you. For we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by the boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our area of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about the work already done in another man's territory, but let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who condemns himself who is approved, but the one to whom the Lord commends. I'd like to welcome to our pulpit Reverend Earl Fair. As Earl comes, please. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for this day and the preaching of your word and is meant to go forth to accomplish your very end. We thank you for Reverend Fair, who has been faithfully, diligently your servant to preach and bring that. So we pray that you would use him that your words would fall upon soft hearts, that would, they would form and shape our lives according to your gospel in the shape of Jesus Christ. So we pray to that end. Amen. Thank you, Paul. Good to be here on this Lord's Day. What are your thoughts today? Where are you in your relationship to Jesus Christ? An old adage is, a penny for your thoughts, but 
your thoughts are worth more than a penny, or they should be. For the true wealth and value and power and influence of your thoughts and my thoughts are what guide our lives. Our thoughts are very important. In a sermon written in the middle of the 18th century by John Wesley, he found that there were very little sermons preached, very few books written uh, concerning the mind or your thoughts. And I think if John Wesley were alive today, he could go into any bookstore or here on TV or whatever. Many ideas concerning our thoughts and our mind. But he would also find that in all of those books and thoughts, nothing or very little would be said about Jesus Christ and bringing our thoughts captive to him. That is lacking in today's world and today's culture. For we are to bring, as the word of God says, every thought into the captivity for Christ, as Paul writes in this 10th chapter in that fifth verse. Now he's dealing with some difficult situations and difficult people. He is boasting. If you want to read that passage again, he's boasting in the fact that he has the credentials to be the apostle that he is called to be because he was up against some people who were challenging him in that capacity. You know, as ministers, sometimes people challenge us as we proclaim the word of God. Now, I don't know where your thoughts, as I said in the beginning, are today, but I hope our thoughts are upon the worship of Almighty God and on his son, Jesus Christ. There is no doubt, there is no doubt that the power for good and evil are in your thoughts and mind. That's where they begin. They are the fountains of actions that you perform and of character. You might call your thoughts the rudder of life, like a ship is driven by a rudder. So are your lives driven by the rudder of your thoughts. In Paris stands the great sculptor of the thinker by Rodin. It's in front of the Pantheon. And buried in that Pantheon are the great statesmen, inventors, authors, artists, and so forth. And what that thinker, sculptor emphasizes is that all of these begin with thoughts. Everything begins with a thought. The first thing that happens is the power of thought to proclaim things. For thoughts are the power to harm us or to help us. That's what happens. Hence, the importance of controlling our thoughts and bringing them into dominion under Jesus Christ, our Savior. For he that ruleth his spirit, as we understand, is greater than he that taketh a city. 
Think about that. It's very true. Your thoughts are going to guide you and all, all, all people in the world. They rule your temper, your anger, and means to rule our thoughts of our mind. One of the first principles that you and I should educate our youth, our children, is the choice of good companions and good thoughts. Very vital in our lives. Every man spends a great part of his life alone. And when he's alone, his only companion is his thoughts. You and I are caught in that every day of our lives. So first of all, let's look at unhappy thoughts, which plague our minds. You know, in my pastoral service over the years, I've talked to many people, and there was one woman I can remember, when I went to visit her, she always had some thing that she brought up of an injury or something that someone said against her. She lived to talk about that. And I knew that in the future, she would probably end up in a mental institution, and she did. Because she couldn't bring herself to lose those kinds of thoughts from her mind. Well, the mind can be injured by things people say. You and I both have experienced that. Or we might even have hallucinations of the mind. To dwell on it constantly does great injury to the soul, yours and mine, and steals happiness away from it. When Lady Macbeth was in the condition that she was in, and she deserved to be in that trouble, as you read Macbeth. Her mind was very troubled, and she couldn't get rid of the uh, troubles that were in her mind. And so Macbeth asked the doctor in these words, Canst thou not minister to a mind diseased, pluck from the memory a rooted sorrow, raise out the written troubles of the brain, and with some sweet oblivious antidote, cleanse that stuffed bosom from the disease that's there, which weighs upon the heart. And the doctor replied in two short phrases. Therein, the patient must minister to himself. That clears the mind. There are a great many people today who have diseased minds in one way or another, who are afflicted by the written troubles of the brain. Yet the mind can be ruled and can be held back from such unhappy turbulence if we repent and ask forgiveness. If we repent and ask forgiveness. If the mind is assailed, for instance, by pride, by anger, by enviousy, jealousy, hatred, or any of these descriptions of the mind, then the only remedy is to let Christ cleanse our minds and bring our minds in captivity to him. One of the worst states in which a mind can find itself and fall is through hatred and resentment. And many people fall prey to that. If you feel, even if you know that you have 
suffered injury and some kind of injustice, the sure pathway to peace is forgiveness, one of the hardest things to do. And yet, none of us who are here today and believe that we are Christians would be here unless we ask forgiveness through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he it is who cleanses our lives from all sin. When the heart forgives, then the mind will no longer resent. And sometimes it's very hard for us to do. For instance, remember Joseph? His brothers mistreated him very greatly. And yet, Joseph didn't dwell on that day after day and year after year, for they had mistreated him greatly, sold him into slavery, remember? And when they feared that he was going to bring anger upon them and justice upon them, because after their father died, Joseph forgave them. Remember what he said very clearly? As for you, ye thought it for evil against me, but God meant it unto good. We're here on a beautiful Sunday morning to worship Almighty God. Or I hope you are. I hope that's where our minds are centered today. So who bears in mind a misfortune that's gone, some thought that comes to mind? We'll live in fear, maybe, of more to come. The happy man whose heart is right gives no such shadow's power. He bears in mind no haunting past of something that happened before to vex his week on Monday. He has no graves within his mind to visit every Sunday. Are they visiting yours today? Well, let's look then at evil thoughts. For evil thoughts are the suicide of the soul. It kills the soul, evil thoughts. All kinds of those thoughts assail our minds and anger, covetousness, envy, jealousy, hatred, and impurity. And the fact that such thoughts come is sufficient in itself, and they do come. Don't ever think that they don't come. All of us experience them. But the sad thing about it is if we entertain them, if we uh, encourage them in our hearts and in our minds, that's the sad part about it. We must therefore guard and watch our hearts and our minds closely. You know, men do not fall suddenly into sin comes gradually. It might seem as though it came very suddenly, but it comes gradually. First the thought is there, then the motion, and then we begin to uh, entertain that motion and that idea, and then we fall prey to doing that evil or that which is wrong. You know, the location of your house is important, and you live in that and enjoy it, or I hope you do. It's important because uh, the boundaries of the house are important, too, around your home. The uh, foundation of the house is important. The roof of the house is important. What's inside that house is important. Well, look at it this way. The soul could be the palace, if you will, where 
reason is a noble hall. The soul is that. Memory is a spacious library in your life. Hope is an observatory where you hope and you visualize good things. Where the watchers of the night are always looking out to see the stars out there, not looking down. And the artist is the imagination and the interior decorator. Well, the fancies of our mind are the pictures we place on the wall of our home. You know, Thomas Akempis, one of the great theologians, wrote The Imitation of Christ. And he put it this way. The entrance of temptation works this way. First, imagination comes and the mind, that bare thought, is growing there within our hearts. And afterwards, their delight in what we uh, see and an evil motion takes place. And then we consent to fall prey to that sin or that temptation. Now, it's not wrong to receive temptation. Everyone does. Our Lord did. But the important thing is that we don't listen to it very long. We get rid of it quickly. That's what Jesus did. What did he say when the tempter tempted him? He took a Bible verse and quoted it immediately. He didn't listen very long to Satan. Uh, that was the problem with Eve. She began to entertain the the evil thought that was placed in her mind that she could be like God. Well, in the realm of thought and imagination and desire, the tempter maneuvers the soul. He does it very carefully and very cleverly in a position where the person is sure to fall. Now, the Bible says that the heart is what? Wicked and deceitful. And then it says, can a man take fire in his bosom and not be harmed, not be burned? Certainly not. You know, I like to read Ezekiel at times and come back to it, one of the great uh, prophets of the Old Testament. In a powerful vision that Ezekiel received by the angel, listen to what happened. He was transported in the spirit back to Jerusalem, to the temple itself. And he went into the inner court and he saw a small hole in his imagination. He began to dig out that hole and enlarge it. And he entered into a subterranean chamber. And what he saw there in that subterranean chamber were the prophets and the ancients of Israel, uh, as he looked at it, there were beasts on the wall, creeping things, all kinds of idols, and they were waving their censers before them and bowing down. And above that, in the temple uh, itself, they were worshiping Almighty God. But down below, the leaders of Israel were worshiping Baal and Moloch, the gods that were evil. And the angel said to Ezekiel, Hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark, every man in the chambers of his imagery? The real world, the world where there is no shame or pretense, is the world of thought, of desire, and imagination. 
And as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Only God can follow you into that unseen world of your heart and your mind. There the true self acts and speaks. You know, you and I have a house which we live that none can see. And as we live in that house, those people that we talk to every day never see it. It has a door through which none can pass. And the windows, they're not made of glass. And folks I meet say, where do you live? And I say, on such and such a street. But really, I know what's really me lives in a house that most cannot see. Well, how do you drive out your wrong thoughts? One way to drive them out is to occupy your mind with good thoughts. Good thoughts. Prayer is vital to that. Paul was a man of prayer, or he couldn't be the man he was and the apostle he was, the teacher he was, the, the words he brought out as he wrote those words of God. A single verse of the Bible can help to drive out evil thoughts. They will help you to do that. Every time the devil assailed Jesus, what did he do? He took a verse of scripture and he answered Satan, and Satan had to leave him. You know, we sang that hymn at the beginning of our service. Great hymn. When evil thoughts molest, with this I shield my breast. May Jesus Christ be praised. Now, at the end of the Philippian letter, Paul gives us a great passage of scripture for securing peace of mind. And he tells the Philippian Christians what to think about. This is one of the great finalies of Paul. He, he, he has finalies as he writes some of his letters. He says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, here it is. Think on these things. Then he adds, and the God of peace shall be with you. You know, a little boy was asked what thought was, and he said this. If you're thinking, it's when your mouth stays shut and your head keeps talking to you. I like that. I like that. For we must guard our thoughts. Our thoughts are heard in heaven. Any thought that you and I have, those thoughts are heard in heaven. You know, thinking is like living and dying. Living and dying when you think. Each of us has to do it for himself or herself. Every one of us. You know, a man may seem to be learned who has not learned Christ and appear virtuous when he has not a principle of grace in his heart. That's very true by many people who live today. For your minds and my minds and our thoughts determine the pathway of our lives. 
How is your pathway being formed today in your life? Paul wrote in Romans, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds and prove what is good and acceptable before the will of God, perfect will of God. You know, I, I can remember a uh, note that my mother wrote to we 11 kids. And she said this. She said, the older I grow and the more I think of love and of wisdom, of love and of wisdom, of seeing and loving all the lovely things in people, and of turning the eyes away from that which is lovely. I encourage you to do that. I've tried to keep that in my heart. You know, I don't always do it, but I try to do that. Because there are many honorable and true and pure and lovely things of a good report. Remember John Bunyan, who wrote The Pilgrim's Progress? There's one uh, passage there where they enter interpreter's house and there was a man there with a muckrake in his hand <clears throat> and he was raking the, the straw, the dirt, and sticks on the floor. And above him was another person who held a crown in his hand and he offered it to the man with the muckrake who continued to rake the straw and the sticks and the dirt. <clears throat> but he never looked up and he didn't receive it. He continued to do what he was doing and so he missed out on life and so he missed out on having that peace of mind. What a picture that is of that man with the muckrake in his hands of many minds. They look only at the small sticks and the dust and the straw on the floor. You know, uh, Jeremy Taylor wrote a famous book and I don't know whether you've read it or not, it was called Holy Dying. Holy Dying, very interesting book. There's a chapter in there on the shortness of a man's life. And it goes something like this. Ninus was the Assyrian king who had oceans of gold and all kinds of uh, jewels, but he never saw the stars. And I believe he never probably desired to see them either, but he was most valiant. He ate and he drank because he had that all available to him. That's what he lived for. Now the man is dead, Taylor writes, and he says, behold his sepulcher, and near here now where Ninus is. And he said, sometimes I think I'm Ninus and drew the breath, living breath of man into my body, but now I am nothing but clay. I have nothing but what I did eat and what I served to myself in lust. I that wore a mitre am now a little heap of dust and had no hope for heaven beyond that. The stars, my friends, are always there. And if you want to keep your thoughts down at your feet, you may do so. But if you wish to look at the stars, and if you wish to have happy thoughts, the way to peace of God, which passes all understanding, is to give yourself over to the reign and to the dominion of Christ 
and bring every thought into captivity and obedience to Christ. But make yourself a captive to Jesus Christ. He is the captain of our souls if we have him as our Lord and our Savior. Then, my friends, you and I are on the pathway to peace. And the word says in Isaiah, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. You know, worry is an inside job. It really is. It is an inside job. Don't worry. Don't worry. Keep your mind on good thoughts. And most of all, don't have graves to visit on Sunday when you gather to worship Almighty God. That is absolutely vital because we cannot worship truly if we entertain those toward anyone and most of all, toward our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Almighty and eternal God, our Heavenly Father, what a joy it is to know Christ, to praise and glorify his name. And may we be edified by being here today to worship and glorify our God, who demands that kind of worship. And may our thoughts be stayed upon him, not only in this hour of worship, but in all our lives. For he truly is the Master, Savior, and Lord he claims to be. We ask it in his name. Amen. Our last hymn.